If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be purpose-filled, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to how do you plan a character arc in a collaborative game? And can you find some dynamic character outcomes regardless of what happens? And what if Aragorn was a shit-ass king? (laughs) Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. We're back. And heck yes, it feels ultimately good. Thank you very much for sticking with us through that break while Jordan and I moved homes. And yes, it feels extremely good. We missed it because recording is great and putting out an episode that hopefully helps people is great too. But also it certainly doesn't hurt the cause when moving and painting sucks royal ass. So much. I've been haunted every single day by all of the things that we've needed to do from moving. So it feels so nice to return my brain to a simple state of thinking about nerd stuff. Yeah, we'd much rather stew on character arcs for players and NPCs that DMs care about. How do you make a character arc? Yeah. And when we started thinking about it, you know, it's a pretty tricky little subject. It ain't easy. When we started to talk about this, about how to add character arcs to our player characters, it generates a lot of really interesting ideas around what can we do with the restrictions that we have. Character arcs are challenging for Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming because typically they belong in movies and books where one author has decided exactly what happens with their character. And here we are all of a sudden in this collaborative space where we're all trying to tell one kind of story, maybe a bunch of stories. Who knows? It's all a big mess and it's fun, but sometimes the arcs can go in very weird directions or not get any service at all. So chances are, if you're listening to this episode, you're in one of a few positions. You're either loosely familiar with character arcs in as much as you know that they exist. And if that's the case, welcome. And we're going to get into some good stuff. Or number two, you have a character, but you've never really considered an arc. And if you're anything like me, maybe when you've gone into describing your character, you've actually picked up on losing some folks' attention when you're talking all about your cool original character. The ones that have tons and tons of style and detail and all of these interesting characteristics, but they've got no journey yet. They've got no story. Careful, because you're kind of hitting a little close to home for me, because (laughs) my characters are all style, no substance. They're all about the trinkets. Or three, you have a character arc planned, a journey in your head, but unfortunately, it's not a solo game like we're talking about. So the story that you are telling is different from those that your other fellow players are telling, which is also different than what the DM is telling. And if you get too deep into that headspace, then you're going to have a lot of resentment because they're not helping you tell your dang story. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky to say the least. So why go down this road in the first place? Like, why try to add character arcs to a role playing game? Well, it adds a 
ton of drama to your character's story. And it helps you and everyone else at the table stay invested in your character. It's really easy to get bored of. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but it's happened to us plenty. Oh, yeah. Where you are playing that interesting character. You think it's interesting until, you know, five to ten sessions in and you realize they're not doing anything. (laughs) They're just kind of looking cool. And again, that just doesn't help in a role playing game. So when there's an arc that you're playing through, it keeps everyone invested in the story and the drama. Totally. And I'll also say that there's about 80 dozen books out there on character arcs. And there's a whole bunch of deep literary stuff with a million details. And it's very overwhelming. (laughs) You could dive into this for literally years and study character arcs and story structure and on and on and on and on and on. So what we aimed to do was to simplify these concepts so that you can immediately hop onto some kind of potential character arc as soon as it crops up. If we can simplify it far enough that you sitting at the table can just go, oh shit, I see a character arc opportunity. You can just get right on in there. Yeah, we really want to be able to have these ideas in our heads at the table not on some 10-page document about all the ins and outs and of character arcs. Well, that's the real challenge of this whole thing, is that as soon as you add that collaborative aspect to it, things go off the rails. It's plagued DMs since the beginning of <laughs> D&D about how all of their best laid plans go to shit. And the real trick is being able to recognize opportunities in the moment rather than have it written down on a piece of paper and just be able to roll with it. Yeah, and to be able to change it when it needs changing. So don't worry, we've thought of that. So we're going to get into the strategy stateroom and talk about some specifics for creating character arcs anytime, anywhere for your character. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So character arcs require character journeys and some a little bit more robust characters. And that's kind of the first step. You need your character to have a flaw. And we've talked about this a lot on this podcast about needing character flaws, why they're important. So if you're at that stage and your character doesn't maybe have a flaw, definitely go and check that out after you listen to this episode. And flaws are even tricky because the more you learn about storytelling in this collaborative way, the more you understand what kind of flaws to make. Yeah. But anyways, let's get into it so you can make some good flaws. Now, in practice, you're at the D&D table. Each character has some of their own flaws on the back burner. They're just kind of sitting there simmering. You've got the rogue who's got a bit of a drinking problem. You've got the cleric who's a bit of a brash bully. What's the druid got going on? He tough talks everyone that's not into nature. Okay. Or she smokes 10 packs a day. (laughs) She's a real, a druid smoker seems to line right up with being wandering around forests (laughs) a lot. That seems like a recipe for a disaster, but cool. Let's go with that. So first we need to talk about the two kinds of arcs. You've got flat arcs and change arcs. A flat arc is how most of us play our characters now. We've created a character at the outset of a new campaign or a game, and we've said, yeah, my character is this and this is how they behave. And they stay that way forevermore, typically. And a flat arc is totally fine. Like we've been playing D&D like this for 
How many years? Well, it's fun. I mean, you've got your character. They face a challenge. They defeat it and they win. Then they go find more challenges. But the character itself isn't really changing. And that is the definition of a flat arc. So basically, you've got a character who's experienced a situation and they react to that situation based on who they are now. There is an obvious and direct solution. It really doesn't reveal their character. Any kind of challenges that they come across, it tests their problem-solving skills, but it ends in the same emotional space that they started in. So they haven't changed throughout this last adventure. But what I would say about those is that they can develop all of your character's traits and flaws and all of those things that makes your character interesting in preparation for an arc. Like without any of this, if you jump right into an arc off the bat, you don't really have the basis for change. Nobody knows who your character is, right? Yeah, they a flat arc is there so that you have an opportunity as a player to reinforce and double down on all of your personality traits so that it's noticeable when you go through a change arc. And even just taking the time to discover them through playing D&D, because that's half the fun, is creating your character and all of those details based on what happens. Totally. So to use an example to explain change arcs versus flat arcs, you've got Lord of the Rings. I'm a fan. I'm familiar with (laughs) the Lord of said rings. Yeah. Now, in Lord of the Rings, you've got characters like Aragorn who go through some stuff. You know, Aragorn has to look at, oh, shit, I have to rise and be king. Samwise is pretty damn reluctant to go on this adventure in the very beginning of the trilogy. And by the end, he's literally carrying the trilogy like he's the only reason that they accomplish their goals in the first place. Right. Goes from a sheltered Shire lad to a evil Lord stopping savior. Perfect. And then you have characters like Marion Pippin, Legolas, Gimli. None of those characters. I mean, Legolas and Gimli maybe learned a little bit of respect along the way, but there's they started as badasses and they ended as badasses. <laughs> Merry and Pippin, they were just like observers. They were practically the audience throughout the entire thing. They were just the world was happening to them and they arrived back at the Shire at the end exactly how they left. Yeah, I mean, the only thing you could argue is that they're just slightly more aware of the world (laughs) yeah the world outside the shire but they're pretty yeah they're just still just happy-go-lucky little hobbits and that's that the point being is that we've got main characters who are going through change arcs and we've got flat characters that are there supporting those change arcs of other characters now this is why this works really well in DD because you've got some players who are going through a change arc and other ones that are supporting that change arc And the only way I think every character can be doing a change arc at the same time is if you do it Game of Thrones style and you keep cutting to different areas and focusing on that story. But that's not how we do D&D. Yeah. You don't just (laughs) exclude everybody for an hour. (laughs) That's called splitting the party. And it's a no, no. Yeah, don't do it. So, for example, again, putting this back in the context of D&D, you've got the bully cleric that hates dragons And we're doing the rescue, the townsperson from the dragon quest, you got to go slay the dragon. He'll end this adventure still hating dragons. However, the rogue who has a drinking problem, like we discussed, 
because their whole village was murdered by an evil dragon. That's why they drink. Well, maybe by the end of this dragon slaying quest, they can resolve some of their internal turmoil around this and maybe stop drinking. Maybe they have to give up the bottle to slay the dragon. So we've got flat versus change. That's it. The longer you do flat, developing your character, the more significant the change arc will be. Not everyone can do a change arc at the same time. And when you aren't actively playing through your own change arc, you're there supporting and focusing on other players' arcs. Yeah, that's the beauty of not trying to do an arc right now, is that you're trying to make someone else's arc shine. You can be responding to their flaws, and you can be encouraging them to overcome them, and all of those things that go along with supporting characters in that particular part of the story. And if you've ever sat there like I have, and struggled with the, well, what do I do to roleplay with other players at the table? How do I really get into this? And what do I comment on? Maybe I should just ask another player where their character is from originally. What if they have any family members? I don't know. How do I elicit some kind of backstory stuff that feels like role playing between two players? Well, this is how you do that. You watch your other players changing their characters, changing. You react to it. You go, wow, you've never done that before. Or, you know, I noticed that you haven't drank in five to six weeks. What's going on there? Well, let me tell you about my tragic backstory. This is how that kind of stuff can come up a lot easier. And I think the reason that I struggle with this is that the rogue is sitting there exhibiting their flaw of drinking. And then my reaction is to think, okay, well, I'll exhibit my flaw over here. <laughs> no, let we're me just... all shitty at the same time. <laughs> Look at all our flaws. Yeah. But if I were to think like a person for a second and not worry about my character's details and just respond to the drinking, then it becomes a dialogue. Then we can role play with it. Totally. So enough, enough hypothesizing. Let's get into the good shit and let's talk about some archetypes. Not archetypes. Not archetypes. <laughs> Arc Types of arcs. Types of arcs. There yeah. we go. So as we go through this, what I'd like to ask you to do is just pop one of your own characters in mind and listen to these arcs and see which one your character should go through next. And remember that it's not one arc that you have to commit to for the majority of your character. You can have a lot of small arcs throughout, uh, say, a D&D campaign. That's one of my favorite points about this whole thing. You do not need to have one year-long campaign-spanning arc, and that's all you ever do. Like, if you want to start an arc now and you didn't include it in your backstory, that's fine. Just do it. Just start a little arc. If an arc doesn't pan out, then you shift and drop it, and you can come back to it later, or you can just never refer to it again. It's totally fine. Nobody will shame you away from the game. If you want to feel a little bit more well-versed in this, you can actually look at the book where we distilled a lot of the ideas for this episode from The Story Grid, What Good Editors Know. It's a book by Sean Coyne. And we took some serious liberties with the points Sean made in that book and adapted them, not only to just try to simplify them as much as possible, but to specifically apply them to D&D. Yeah. Also, while we're doing heads up, uh, there's some mild spoilers ahead for really popular and well-watched films. So we're going to use some examples from films just to as a point of reference. 
But if you hear us mention a film, maybe plug your ears for 30 seconds. If you I don't, don't want know. it spoiled. Yeah. Chances are you've seen these films. And if you haven't, get on it. If you haven't, you probably don't want to, is the reason. Because <laughs> they're old. Fair enough. <laughs> so there's a few different main types of arcs. And we're going to start off with one of the most commonly used in storytelling. And it's the status change arc. And if that doesn't make sense yet, hold on. Status is about the change in social status that a character experiences, whether it's some kind of a group or organization or just a more of a vague sense of rising in their culture or community. Mm -hmm. The need in this type of story usually revolves around getting a better self-esteem because what they want is some kind of third party validation. Basically, they start at one place and they want to get to another. They dream of something better or bigger or grander. It's really just like, hey, shit changed in my life. <laughs> I want to move up in the world. Yeah. And within this umbrella, there's four different types of status arcs. So you've got rise, strive, fall and recover. Yeah. So we need to break each one of those down. Let's start with rise. All right, so a rise arc is where the character starts low in status and ends high. Pretty straightforward. This feels like most stories. True, and I think you'll start to understand why it's not when we get into the other ones. But yeah, it's super straightforward. You got a shitty character, they got a flaw, they want to get higher up in the world, they make some huge sacrifices, and they work hard, and they end high in status. Pretty straightforward. An example of this would be Rocky. Yeah, Rocky starts off as a nobody, a loser of a boxer, gets no respect. He wins some fights. He's really low. Yeah, he works his ass off throughout the movie. He gets himself a, an old school tough guy trainer, and then he punches a bunch of meat. <laughs> so much meat punch. Runs upstairs. So many stairs. And ends up kicking the ass of the champ. All of a sudden... He's got the highest status he could get as a boxer. He is absolutely one happy ending victory for all. The arc ends. The arc ends. So before you kind of tackle this, you want to kind of plan your arc. So you can do that by just making sure that your character values something within a larger social group, I guess. Yeah. Society, the party a weird shadow organization, whatever. Like they just, they want a different status than the one that they currently have. And the one that they currently have has to be kind of low. It has to be a bad place in relation to the status that they wish to achieve. Right. Whatever that area is, they're a loser in it right now at the beginning. Then you got to give them a goal that they want to reach, thinking that that's going to increase their status. That could be Slay the Dragon. That could be a lot of different things. And as soon as they reach it, they complete their arc. Easy peasy. So working this into an adventure. Let's start with what you mentioned earlier, Travis. The barest bones adventure concept in the D&D world, which is Slay the Dragon. <laughs> Classic. Townsfolk fear it. It's been doing bad Slay the Dragon. <laughs> so first we might want to say make our character have the goal of being accepted into a group that sees the dragon as a menace. This could be like a group of dragon slayers or even the townspeople. Like they're an outsider. Maybe they're, I don't know, the drifter. Yeah, sure. The the drifter that wishes they could settle down in town, but they say, wow, we don't like strangers. Yeah, they got to start low. So this town is like, 
Nope. Get the heck out. We have a dragon problem, sure, but you're dangerous. You're, you're a drifter. Dirt. Yeah. Get out of our beautiful town, but also we have a dragon problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that character is going to care about getting the townsfolk respect. And to do that, they could easily determine, well, if I kill this dragon, then they'll probably respect me. You journey out on the quest. Uh, you get help from the rest of the party to kill the dragon. They're celebrated upon their return. You've got an arc. Done and done. Now, you can swap dragon for nearly anything. It seems your DM has cooked up. Like, anything that threatens your party can pretty much be swapped out with the dragon. Whatever that evil big bad thing is. Maybe it's a pile of ooze. Maybe it's an evil senator. Whatever it is, nobody expects your character to win against that thing. That's why this is so easy to do, because the whole game is essentially built around some kind of combat and fighting something evil. So <laughs> it's there. Yeah. But wait, you might be saying this is D&D. We don't always know that the party's going to defeat the dragon. It's not always that straightforward, right? Well, sometimes TPKs happen. Yeah. Or sometimes the dragon releases 80 fire breaths and you realize we have to run from this one. Right. They break their pants and they sprint out of that cave. Right. Or some fifth option that every party's got up their sleeve because DMs can't predict shit in this game. <laughs> <laughs> so you need a different arc if it ends differently. What if you can't guarantee the rise at the end? Well, then you've got the second type of arc, which is called a strive arc, in which the status of the character starts low. Same thing. They're a loser. They try to climb in status, and the ending is that they are low in status. They do not succeed. The flawed character tries to rise in status but fails. This is the down note. They probably sacrificed greatly to try to reach their goals, but uh, they were slapped down at the very end. Maybe they even learn what they need to. But yeah, they just don't succeed in reaching that status level that they wanted to. Movie example here is Little Miss Sunshine. I know that's not nearly as much of an adventure or action movie as Rocky, <laughs> but... <laughs> it still holds water because it starts with a girl who wants to win beauty pageants and that's the status she's after she wants to be a beauty pageant queen and then the whole movie is all about her and her weird ass family going to try to win this pageant and you're kind of sitting there rooting for that rocky moment <laughs> of like yay i won the pageant but that doesn't happen yeah you're questioning it the whole time she's hopeful and determined throughout her flaws Pretty much her family and their <laughs> advice. <laughs> I mean, it's all terrible. And during that finale, during the pageant that we've been waiting this whole time to see if she wins, she performs that raunchy dance that her grandfather taught her, clearly failing. We know it before it's said. <laughs> and she does not rise in the status. This is a perfect strive arc. So it looks a lot like rise, except it's got a downbeat at the end. That's the strive. So how you can plan this arc, it's very similar to the last one. The first three steps are exactly the same. You got to make your character value status within a group. You got to start them in a bad place in relation to that status. And you have to have them want to reach a goal that will get them that status. Exactly. You're just throwing the twist at the end that they don't get it. A key to making this work is to have your character realize that they actually can move forward 
without the goal being accomplished. Like if they're still alive, but they failed, then they can learn something about themselves along the way. They can maybe learn that the goal is flawed in some way from the start. And there's a lot more ways to fail than simply dying. And even if they do die, you can have them come to this realization right on their deathbed and it still works as an arc. <laughs> yeah, true enough. So how do we work this into the adventure? Okay, so we got Slay the Dragon. You still want to make your character want to get into the townsfolk, want to be respected. The only twist on this is that they either attempt to kill the dragon and maybe they all die via a TPK, but that doesn't have a lot of, you know, <laughs> TPKs are a down note no matter what you do. So chances are, if you're still playing and there's still room to grow the character, then you survive somehow. Either you slayed the dragon or you didn't slay the dragon, you ran away. Doesn't matter. We can still add a downbeat at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, the easy downbeat is if they do fail to kill the dragon. And if that's the case, then give it a point. So they could realize that getting the respect of that town maybe isn't the right path for them anyways. They could get back to town, be absolutely heroic, and then the townspeople say, you're still dirty. Thanks for dealing with our dragon problem. Get out of here, you dirty drifter. You were never getting in in the first place. Then something fun to think about, too, is identify why the character failed. Like maybe they didn't lean on allies enough. Maybe they didn't use their talents in the right way. And because this can provide a lot of role play for their future weaknesses and flaws and can even lead you into the, your next arc. Yeah. So then we need to pull the old switcheroo. Now we've got the fall. And this is where opposite the rise, the character starts high and ends low. This can be pretty fun. You've got a flawed character that starts off doing really well and they screw up big time, which spirals them down to ending real low. Now, to give you an example and a movie reference, we would use the movie Seven. Yes, a twisted, but like one of my favorite thrillers. Real oh. dark. Oh, yeah, it's super dark if you haven't seen it. But basically, you've got Brad Pitt's character, who's a young, hot detective who's kicking ass and he wishes to be the best damn detective. He's in a pretty good place. Everyone thinks he's awesome, but he's got this wicked flaw of being a little bit overconfident and kind of cocky. Yeah, absolutely. And while they're tracking this dangerous killer, he makes the big mistake of moving too fast. Despite his partner's warnings that it's against protocol and won't end up in a conviction, he kicks in the main suspect's door. They don't end up getting the killer, but the killer specifically tells him that his actions have changed the killer's plans. And this mistake directly causes this tragedy at the end. What's in the box? It's implied that he's no longer a detective due to the tragedy, and he loses that status he started with. He's got nothing. Basically, in a nutshell, you've got a flawed character that tries to maintain or raise their status, makes a big mistake, it leads to their ultimate failure. Now, this is just you leaning really hard into your flaw and allowing your flaw to sometimes get the better of you. So you can plan this arc by making sure that your character is established in some group. You give your character a flaw that you can use in roleplay. You either plan out or let some big mistake arise through just leaning into that flaw. And that mistake leads to them losing their status. 
that's really it. They the party is mad at them for, you know, not coming through in that fight. So let's apply this to our dragon fight. This time around, you've got your character who's respected in the town as someone that gets shit done. I'm thinking that the character is maybe a notable dragon hunter. Yeah. Or maybe not dragons, you know, maybe the deeds that they have accomplished just have reached the town before they get there. And your DM can actually have, you know, NPCs respect you for once. And let's keep it simple. Let's say your character has that same flaw of overconfidence. They boast that they could tackle the dragon and they could kick its ass with one hand tied behind their back. And both their eyes closed and thrown in the trash. (laughs) But, you know, they'll take the companions along if they insist. Then you can fight the dragon as strategically as you want with that character. Just ensure that it ends with a failure on the part of your character. This is regardless of the outcome of the dragon fight. They can kill it or not kill it, whatever. If the party loses, this is really easy. You failed, and when you get back to town, your status will be stripped. If the party wins, however, you can still make your character lose. Maybe they overconfidently got into a position, and now they need help to get out of it. Like maybe they're on a ledge above the dragon fire, or a pit of water with a bunch of piranhas in it, or... Yeah, they just kind of sucked in the fight, or maybe they wanted to take the dragon alive, but of course... The party killed the dragon. You know, you can retroactively do a lot of this stuff. And the most simple version of this I can think of is if the party beats the dragon at the end of it, just narratively go down. Like maybe you got hit once by the dragon and you want to have your character go unconscious. Then somebody else needs to get you up. It's that simple. Now your character has failed and their status can go down. When they get back to town... The town learns of it and treats them differently. They're no longer such a hot hero and they got to deal with that shit. How embarrassing. Now, again, you're probably sensing a bit of a pattern. Now we're going to talk about the recover arc, which starts high, falls low and ends high. So we're just adding that third step of ending high on top of the fall arc. You've got a character with a flaw, but they've also got some kind of a really admirable principle and they start high in status probably because of that principle they fall real low then they climb back up out of the gutters now again another movie example of this one would be the movie gladiator you've got general maximus decimus meridius who starts off as the best flipping general in rome he's next in line to become emperor over the current emperor's own son he's on top of the world he's loyal to rome but his flaw is that he trusts that everyone else is going to be as well. But the evil Joaquin Phoenix, the son of the emperor, dicks him over. Yeah, he's a little weasel turd. He loses his farm, loses his family. Everything's awful. And he becomes a gladiator. And the only way to, you know, I mean, we could end the movie there. That would be him ending on a real low point. That would be the fall. But instead, we throw another third act on there where he, well, I think it was probably (laughs) the majority of the film. I think all that happened in like the first 10. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, we get to see the hero's meteoric rise. He never compromises his principles. He fights his way to become the ultimate legend of the gladiator pits. And he fights the weasel turd in the arena. (laughs) Murders him. And gives instructions for how to leave Rome a better place before he dies. His status is restored. 
Some people might think that's a tragedy because the hero dies at the end, but the important part is that his status in Rome is restored before he does so. Totally. So you can plan this arc by making sure your character is well-respected and established. Again, very similar to the last one. You're going to plan out some big mistake, usually by their own doing related to their flaw. Then that mistake causes them to lose their status and they have to seek to fix it, staying true to their principle. And that leads to the most glorious victories. Like when you actually put the effort into create some of this arc, then the dragon fight becomes a lot more epic for your character. And how you can do that with that dragon fight is, you know, again, characters respected. The townsfolk love your character, but he's overconfident. Maybe he's got the principle of actually desiring safety for the town. So they boast they're able to conquer the dragon. All you got to do here to lay the groundwork for this arc is add in a little downtime before the party leaves on that quest where your character actually did go off to fight it alone. They failed horribly and they crawled back to town. Everyone's laughing at him as they come back all cut up and scratched and slightly singed. They look ridiculous. Sad, really. They got a dragon scale wedged up their butt. (laughs) How'd that get there? (laughs) I don't know. But now they've got a super powerful motivation to work with the group and defeat the dragon because they're going to regain their status within that town. Yeah. About so much more than the dragon at that point. And again, if the party loses that fight, they can continue this arc by not giving up. They can try to attack the dragon in a different way. They can parlay with it. They can, you know, a party never gives up just because they lose the dragon fight is my point. And you'll also notice now that we've talked about all of these different types of arcs that the rise and fall are basically just mirrors of one another. Yeah. And strive and recover are mirrors of them. You've got low, high, low, high, low, high. Hi, low, high. (laughs) Thanks for that. And what's so neat about these arcs is that they work so well in D&D. And the reason that they work so well in D&D is that they shift depending on how you want to complete your quest. You don't have to know the end outcome in order to just jump on top of these and say, oh, my God, you know what? I thought we were going to win, but this went horribly. This is a strive, not a rise. Yeah, exactly. They lose at the end. And knowing what these arcs can do means that when you do lose, you know how to react to it in character to finish that arc properly. Totally. You get to still be surprised. So do everyone else at the table. Everyone knew that they were rooting for your character to, you know, end the the campaign having redeemed themselves. But oh my goodness, everyone's surprised because it didn't end up that way. This is actually a bit of a tragedy. Oh my God, this is dramatic. This is intense. I never saw this coming. Exactly. So like the point is, Character arcs don't mean you're going to be running a railroaded story. And if you had your character in your mind throughout this main segment and you're like, ah, damn, none of those particularly fit my character. Worry not, because there's plenty more to kind of talk about and there's more story arcs that we're going to get into. But since we don't want to make this a four hour episode, we're going to cut it off there. And we're going to hop over to Timora's Tavern to see what we can do with our man who would be king, Aragorn. Yeah, I'm going to try and mess him up real good. 
Welcome to Tamora's Tavern, where absurd games of fortune and skill are played for the amusement of all. So in this Tamora's Tavern, we're going to try to create some new story trajectories for well-known characters from Lord of the Rings. Very good. We're going to use Aragorn for this one because we're going to tackle the status change. All of the ones that we just talked about. That seems to fit Aragorn really well. Yeah, this should be fun to mess and screw his character arc within what we've talked about. So. Just as a recap, because honestly, I needed a bit of a refresher as well, if we're going to be able to consider all of his different story options. So Aragorn was born as the heir to the throne of Gondor, parents dead, fostered by Elrond, the elf or Agent Smith. <laughs> sure. He's that's, all over the place. Isn't that's he? some total alternate history shit right there. Aragorn was raised by Agent Smith in the main. <laughs> like we could we could get in some weird ass fan fiction here. I think we have to. That's going to be a new podcast. <laughs> he was told of his lineage when he got older, but he was raised kind of ignorant of the fact that he was heir to Gondor's throne. Uh, he became a wandering warrior, nomad kind of person and hiding his true place and responsibility, uh, kind of shirking his responsibilities because he and Elrond kind of agreed at one point that like, oh shit, if anyone knows you're king, you're going to be a target. And he said, I don't want to die. Yeah. So he adopted the name Strider and hung out in dusky bars. And then he became the Lord of the Matrix. <laughs> he started really dirty too. <laughs> and he ended up clean. And that's kind of his rise. He like started kind of covered in muck when he came into that tavern to find the little hobbits. That's true. And then he's like wearing gleaming armor at the end. Yeah, yeah. So that's all you need to do to to do a rise <laughs> arc is just make sure your armor gets cleaner. Shine him up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, the rise is the low to high. So Aragorn is basically wandering homeless. No one to really call family or friends. He's a loner. We call that a ranger in D&D. <laughs> the wandering homeless <laughs> is actually a ranger. Who knew? Yeah, he was a drifter, wandering nomad. So he steps up at some point. Like he was even kind of being pressured at some, at some point throughout the films. It's like, hey, man, like you have some responsibilities. And like, ah, I don't want those. I like hanging out in the woods and shooting stuff. So he's got a flaw. And then he overcomes that flaw and the story ends high because he becomes king and unites the people and leads an army against Sauron's armies at Minas Tirith. Wonderful. We all felt good watching him do his kingly duties. So let's talk Strive, which is starting low, trying to go high and then ending low. How do we change his story to do that? Agent Smith beats him. <laughs> just kicks his ass uh 500 million of them and they yeah. fight in the rain done i'm kind of thinking like in the battle like he does because he starts low yeah. and that we can stick with the trajectory to high right we don't have to change much no we just have to end it differently so here's what i'm thinking during the battle of Minas Tirith. He does a great job at rallying everyone together. He's like, hey, guys, we're going to go fuck up some Sauron action. Let's do it. 
and he recruits Arwen and under his leadership, Arwen gets killed. Oh, no. She gets like trampled by one of those big elephants. All right. And your monster. Yeah, I know. It's I, I feel bad even saying it. But then the this that their side loses. Minas Tirith falls, but he survives and goes back to being Strider and trying to like forget the horrors of the battle that he lost. Yeah, that's fair. And the immediate cool thing I think about that is that that would lead into a future arc for the character if you wanted it to. Yeah. Of recover. Like now he's got something to recover from. Yeah. If you if you want to go that route. Oh, we're going to create a whole new sequel to Lord of the Rings. And the first one, he has to have a flat arc. So he just shows up a couple of times as a shithead strider, maybe helps out a little bit. Shithead strider. Yeah, he's just like, what's up, nerds? (laughs) It's just a jerk (laughs) to everyone. Well, I mean, he lost the battle. He's dealing with some serious trauma. He's going to be taking his anger out on everyone. Yeah. But he shows up in a future movie and he just does a flat character arc so he ends exactly how he started Uh, he just makes a couple of appearances and then about four to five years after that we're like hey everyone we just announced a new lord of the rings movie strider's coming back and then we just give a little tease Uh, the teaser is the gleaming armor okay that he wore in the battle and it's getting you know, like reforged back together or some shit like that. <laughs> reshined. Yeah, reshined. <laughs> There's just it's a close up shot of somebody spit polishing the armor. <laughs> He's coming back, you guys. This is Strider's armor. He's going to be king again. <laughs> Worst teaser ever. <laughs> Super cool. All right. So uh, do you want to do you want to talk about the fall or do you want to talk about the recover? Well, I think we'll start with fall because fall is pretty simple. All right. So if you're going to do a fall, he's got to start as the king. Yeah, he's got to start high. And he wasn't necessarily high mucking through on country roads. No. So, I mean, maybe this starts after the whole thing is over because he's king. Ooh, okay. And, you know, after the exciting parts of the story, we all know how this goes. Once he becomes king, he's like, man, I really liked being Strider, though. I don't like being king. There's a lot of bureaucracy. (laughs) There's a lot of paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) The king does a lot of paperwork. (laughs) I like riding my horse through the countryside and harassing hobbits. That's what I'm into. (laughs) So he runs off and meets with Arwen and, you know, goes on a long vacation. Real long. Indefinite. Okay. (laughs) He abandons his kingdom for a bit. That's the fall? No, no, no. He just like pieces out? (laughs) I mean, that would be nice for him. Be like, my kingdom's fine. I'm just piecing out. But then, you know, Sauron the second, Sauron's son. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean? This is this is really non-canon. We're, <laughs> we're going fully off the rails. Sauron's son, Sauron's son two electric boogaloo starts yeah. up. Okay. His forces overtake Minas Tirith <laughs> when Aragorn is gone. He wins it the first time, loses it the second time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's that's his big screw up. He shirked responsibility, lost the city. And that's a sad tale. That is a sad tale. You know, you could probably distill most of all of that nonsense and just say, like, at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, he is king and he loses the Battle of Minas Tirith. Right, right. That's fair. 
that that's that. much better and much simpler. <laughs> <laughs> not to not to shit on all of what that beautiful mind stuff was that you just did. That's the sequel. That was <laughs> uh, good times. Okay, so then we've got the recover, which is the high low and then high again at the end. All right, let's start at the beginning of Lord of the Rings. You're saying Aragorn starts as king. Yeah. The hobbits go to ask him for some help. Oh, you know what? I'm I'm feeling some like pulling in some Braveheart shit. All right. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So, like in Braveheart, he's like, "Hey, can I please have some freaking backup from Robert the Bruce?" And then Robert the Bruce is like, uh, actually, I made a deal. Sorry, man. And then they lose the battle. So instead, all of the hobbits go to the current Aragorn, king of Gondor. And they're like, hey, we could really use some armies. And this badass castle you call Minas Tirith. Can we hang out here? Can you fight with us? We're going to take the fight to the gates. Because it looks super cool in the trailers. Yeah. And... Then call in all your ghost buddies, too. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah, Call in that favor. So then they go and they fight the battle. But Aragorn, King of Gondor, doesn't show up. Oh, no. What's he doing? It's just a. it's like a bunch of hobbits standing at the fiery gates with uh, Sauron's big old eye looking down at them. And they're like, backup's going to be here any minute, guys. (laughs) I promise. Uh, Aragorn said he'd, he'd, he'd come to our rescue. We're going to kick your butt. Yeah, they're, they're shit talking at the gates <laughs> the entire time. Those those hobbits, <laughs> those hobbits and Gandalf. Yeah. And yeah, he doesn't show up. So there's your low. Now, how does he end high? Well, what what? Why didn't he show up? Was he on a bender? No, no. He was just like, nah, I can't commit all my. F- I'm not going to send everyone to the slaughter. Oh, I see. Why would you go against Sauron? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're just kind of chilling here. Minister is fine. I'm king. I'm not going to risk it all. He's making wise decisions. To destroy a ring. Who gives a shit about some jewelry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You got your family issues with your uncle. Deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we go any farther, though, that's a fun story. I like the hobbits shit talking at the (laughs) gates. But Aragorn doesn't actually lose any status. He's fine. Ooh, okay. How about this? The hobbits, after all their shit talking, get a royal smackdown. Gandalf and the hobbits get decimated by an orc army who literally just have to take like 15 steps out the gate to (laughs) kick the living shit out of every one of them. I think one of those big ogre looking dudes just comes outside and golf clubs them all off of the front porch. There you go. Essentially. Yeah, I love that. So then the army is like, okay, now that uh, that's out of the way and we've got the ring, time to time to walk all over this place. Now Aragorn has lost all public favor because now these armies are just out of control. They're all over the place. It's like an ant infestation. They're just they're taking over and eating everything. Swarming the kingdom. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's lost public favor. Everyone's like down with that Aragorn king. You should have fought with them when we had the chance. Now everything's terrible. These hobbit ghosts are telling us all kinds of bad stuff. Yeah. And now he reforges the sword and calls in his ghost favor and gets his ghost army. And then they plan a surprise attack inside in Sauron's tower. 
Nice. Yeah. Ghost Gandalf. Jab him right in the old peeper. Helps him. Sneaks in. <laughs> Force Ghost Gandalf. <laughs> oh, boy. We've butchered this. We've butchered a lot of stories. We're done. And we want to say a big sorry to our patrons thank you for supporting us but sorry we keep doing this to you we keep butchering all of the wonderful <laughs> stories that you love uh thank you very much to chris f i see spiders where there are none the senate lucas d lila g the gm tim nevermore thomas w ty n heavy arms eric r aldrost leprechaun and will hp Thank you all so much. We hope you enjoyed that episode. There is more coming up because we've got more arcs to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join an excellent community of players and DMs that are all talking about how to make this stuff better on our Discord how to fix all of the terrible things we've done to canon <laughs> stories. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and beware Agent game. Elrond <laughs> of the Matrix Rivendell. Jesus. Jesus.